Good to have everybody here. As you can tell, if you're here newer and you haven't been here before, there are times when we have conversations with other people because of the nature and character of the topic that I'm not an expert on, but I would like for other people to come and actually talk to us about this. Some months ago, you don't have to put me on the screen yet. Am I? Oh, okay. Man, I thought you got me up there, Greg. I was like, you want to go crazy? Okay. Anyway, all right. Some months ago, I've got anxiety issues. Some months ago, some months ago, uh, I got an email from Carl Dow. And it was, I think, somewhere probably in February. And it was a, the Mustang School, you can put the next slide up, it was a Mustang School mental health survey of all their kids as they were going through the pandemic. And what he did is there were 1,613 actual respondents. And when I saw the results, I, saw, I went, wow, we need to be discussing this with our parents. We need to be discussing this with the church. This is an area probably in my ministry that I'm weak. And that's why I've got experts that are going to come and help us today. And it's an area in which I think we do not talk near enough about. And I want to show you some of the results. So this next page, this was the question that was asked. Concern you would like to discuss. And you could choose, they could choose more than one. And I'm not going to take time to read them all, but I, I did think that it was interesting that the stress and anxiety and depression, you saw stress and anxiety was 516 out of there. Okay? And then the depression, 190. And family issues, but I thought the other one, I have lost hope, which is 129 kids. Now, this was the high school, our high school here at Mustang, okay? And so you saw what they were dealing with. Now, you had 945 that says, nope, I'm good. But if you think about it, that left a whole lot of kids that are still struggling. The next question, there's only two questions on the survey, was this. Choose a category that describes how you currently feel. Choose a category which you describe you normally feel. Now, they could only choose one of these, okay? Only choose one. They're at the first, on the top half there, those five. And you see, I am great. You see, I'm okay. And eh, uh, eh, it's not good. Just kind of, I'm you had 238 said they were struggling, and you had 66 kids, 66 kids who said, I am in a very dark place. And then there was in that, those last two, feel mentally healthy, no. 510 said they, were seeing, uh, they didn't feel mentally healthy. And seeing an outside counselor, there was 182 of the kids that were actually seeing an outside counselor, not at school. Okay, the school counselors, they didn't even count that. This was outside. In the scripture that Micah read is prevalent in the Psalms. When you see the Psalms and you read the Psalms, I, Mike and I did a podcast just this week that will be coming out in a couple of weeks, and we were looking at Psalm 25. And as we were looking at Psalm 25, I had read it just about the week before my daily Bible reading. As I was reading that, I was looking, it was just seeing, I was just seeing David go up and down, up and down, up and down in that psalm. 
I'm guilty. I've got this grief. I, you know, please forgive me. And, and then next thing, he's praising God. And you see this up and down and up and down in his life. This is not new. Probably all of us at some time or another have dealt with this in our own lives. We struggled with this. And I love the scripture that Micah read to us. I want to read it again from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. And when I think about that sentence right there, I was thinking about all those kids in high school who were struggling, who were in the dark place, who felt like they were in a pit. Out of the miry bog, I can't get out. And set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. And you can see the tone of it just change. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. So today what I'd like to do is I'd like to have a conversation. I've invited one of my closest, a good close friend... We haven't seen enough of each other in the past years, but Jeff McMillan is, I don't even know what your title is at Oklahoma Christian. It's just a guy. (laughs) Jeff is a good friend. So I got him into youth ministry when I was at Memorial Road. His dad is Lynn McMillan, and he was a counselor doing that. And I said, hey, why don't you come and work with us? And he worked with us. And then when I left youth ministry and went to community outreach ministry still there, Jeff was the guy that took over for me. And so he was there and has done tons with kids. He is also right now at Oklahoma Christian, and he works with all of the students there, as well as many of the adults. He's a professional counselor, and one that I think is very key and keen to all the, uh, these issues that we're addressing. So I'm going to ask him up here. But I'm also going to ask Austin up here. Austin's dealing with our teenagers and is dealing with them now. And he's also had experience. What's interesting is, is all three of us at some time or another were hired at Memorial Road. And so I'm going to have them all up here and we're going to have a conversation today. So Jeff, if you'll come up. Austin, if you'll sit here. And we're going to put this on the screen because we got our backs to some people. And so we want y'all to see this. And so we're going to try to just, if you, so that everybody can at least see. All right. So, Jeff, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, do you have your mic on? I I think I can. Okay. Yeah, you're good. There we go. Um, So I, I volunteered with a youth group at Memorial years ago in. Uh, James was kind of a, not he was, a legend at Memorial many, many years as our youth ministry there, and we all loved him, and he asked me to consider replacing him, and I didn't want to do that because I, I, I didn't think I had what it took to do that, but I did it, um, and so I'm here to tell you today that I'm actually, today is my first day as the new preacher at Lake <laughs> so... <laughs> I hate that you had to find out this way. Oh, yeah, I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I actually worked in student ministry there for 16 years, and Sydney and I still are members there. And then seven years ago, 
uh, I had a chance to go to Oklahoma Christian as the Dean of Spiritual Life. And so that, a lot of that involves uh, mentoring and walking closely with students and um, a lot of Bible study and just what I would call pastoral counseling and some actual counseling too. And, and then I also teach in the division of Bible uh, with my good friend and colleague, uh, Mr. Bob Gregg over there. And so, so that's, that's what I've done for the last seven years. Okay, great. Austin, glad to have you here. And I want to start out with you with the first question that I have is, where have you seen, especially during this past year, where have you seen mental health issues arise in our students? Yeah, so um, we actually just got done doing a mental health talk for two weeks in youth ministry, in our youth group on Wednesday nights. And those were two really great um, weeks that we had. And it was really, it was really interesting. I, I think I was truly enlightened when we, we really just took a moment to go around the room and say encouraging nice things about each other. And that's kind of when it hit me, kind of where, where our students have been. Not necessarily, be, and it really had nothing to do with just mental stress, mental health, but there were legitimate tears rolling in our youth ministry with students just telling each other how much they cared about each other. And I, mm. I think this past year especially, it's done a really good job not just with the pandemic, but just with all of the other things going on around the pandemic, of making pe- not just students, but people feel um, unloved. And I think that feeling unloved has been something that our students are dealing with. I think that survey um, does a great job with that, of, of showing that is, is um, sometimes, it, even if you are loved, sometimes you feel unloved. And I think that's something that Abby and I realized through those conversations with our students. Um, I also put something, I, I was curious just to see what other youth ministers' settings looked like. So I put it out into a Facebook page um, of about 16,000 youth, youth leaders around the country, different denominations, different everything. And, and that Facebook post ended up getting hundreds of comments, all saying stress, fear, anxiety, loneliness have all been you know, skyrocketed this past year. And that's people in all different, in a church setting, but all, different, all over the nation. It's not just something that's happening here in Mustang. It's something that's, that's going on everywhere. It's not just here. Um, and I relate to that. I think that I've noticed that in a lot of our students, too, just an increased anxiety, fear, stress, sure. loneliness, stuff like that. So. How, did, how did it exhibit itself on the college campus? Um, probably in a lot of the same ways, a lot of anxiety. Anxiety and depression a lot of times kind of are partners, right? You know, sometimes it's hard to tell one apart from the other and one tends to feed the other. Um, there was a, a lot of early sadness because it was Austin's senior class and, you know, yeah. they were leaving at spring break, which was supposed to be like your fun last spring break. And they're going to come back, you know, if you went to college, you know those last weeks post-spring break, pre-graduation it's like this grand victory lap that you just sort of <laughs> do all your lasts right and yeah. that that just didn't happen it was just gone and and then and then kind of compounding that is there was very few people to talk about it with you know so it's like not only are you kind of grieving it but you you're isolated and it, it so it produced um it produced just a real, like, gaping hole, I thought, in a lot of the lives of our, of not just our students, but our, our entire campus community. And I, I kind of think we're still digging out from it, actually. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I think, at least in my history, 
Let's go back a little bit. As far as faith versus mental illness or mental awareness, there's that, that struggle, I think, well, you must not have enough faith. So can you speak to that a little bit, Jeff? I, I would love to. First of all, I need to com- I confess to you that um, years ago, we were in church, and uh, the preacher started talking about um, don't worry, you know, all, quoting all of our favorite scriptures, yes. right? Don't let yeah. your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious about anything. With prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. And those are all quite true, but he then kind of built this additional layer to it, which was if you're worried, if you're sad, if you're depressed, you are, you are actually living in a sinful state. Mm. Because, because those things aren't of God. And I, I, I'm not proud of this. I'm not proud of this. But I walked out of there, and I, in my heart, I agreed with him. I agreed with him. I thought, that's true. It's really true. Like, we're not honoring God because we're worried and because we're sad and because we're anxious. And, um, like, I was a licensed therapist, and I was agreeing with that. And some of you all may agree with that today, and I'm asking you to, like, just from the beginning, I'm asking you to set that down. It's not true. It's not true. The last thing that we need to do as believers in Christ is to only be able to be okay. And anything less than happy, wonderful, joyful, all the fruits of the Spirit, anything other than that, if we feel it, what is the temptation there? It doesn't honor God. It's somehow sinful or, or it reflects poorly on Jesus. So then what do we do? We tend to cover over that and act like it's okay. And, and then, to me, if there is a sin in it, it is being inauthentic with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so yeah. um, there's a lot of ramifications for taking an encouragement from the Lord and turning it into this massive like command that if you're not doing it, you're sinning. Yeah, so, so going a little bit about that as far as the, just continue to develop that a little bit more if you would. Okay, wow. So, so if we want, first of all, I don't think the Bible is written in such a way where you're supposed to just scour it for a whole bunch of rules that you can just like lay out on everybody. It's the Lord like revealing himself in a narrative form. This is who I am. Can I tell you about me going all the way back? And, and when I read it like that, it's more, of a, it's more of a joy as I get to know the Lord rather than a, okay, well, what did that say there? I need to make sure that I do it just this way. And, and, but so if I, if I was gonna read it that way though, I would just say, well, let's start with Matthew chapter 11. Right at the end of Matthew 11, and Jesus is trying to talk about who he is, and what does he say? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, and my yoke is my teaching, my, my creed, my ethos, who I am. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is not the point where anybody says, yeah, but. Nobody adds that. It's just, that's a hard stop. Yep. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, like rest in me and in my people, in my people. You know what James said to me? I, I was asked, we were just talking about Lake Homa a little while ago. He said, I said, yeah, we've been friends for 30 years. Yeah. 
and I said, what do you, what do you love about here, just like the last year even? You know what he said about y'all? You're just down to earth. You're just laid back good people. And I was just thinking, what a joy it is to be in a church like that. So I hope you guys receive that. Like, really, that's a, what a blessing. And so I just think, to, to kind of get back to your question about unpacking a little bit more, even if we were to go back to the beginning, right, uh, like in the Torah, the, the Old Testament, the laws, I was listening to a rabbi talk uh, recently, and he said 39 commands, 39 commands in the Torah are about loving a stranger, and one command is about loving your neighbor. It doesn't mean that you don't love your neighbor, but where, where do we tend to lean in, right? It's where people that we know, people with whom we have familiarity, people that we understand, get, gravitate to, like. But the stranger is the one that from the very beginning the Lord has called us to. And I would say part of the stigma of mental health that still kind of has a residual thing here is I don't really get mental health. I don't really understand people that have those issues, and so we tend to, we tend to avoid it. Yep. And I gotta tell you guys, man, that is like some old, old thinking. It's, that's like 2005 at the most recent. I'm, you have another chance to get on the train that mental health is a thing. Like nobody in here is gonna be embarrassed to tell you that they have diabetes, right? Would you pray for me? I found out that my mom has cancer. You're like, oh, I wonder what she's done. Like, you know, right? <laughs> You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. But is, and that's been a long time thing, right? Whenever, even in Jesus' day, when mm -hmm. people had, had problems, what did his parents do? What caused this? Well, I'm going to tell you, about two and three people are going to have some sort of mental health issue in their life. And you know what the other one-third? Probably all of us who are susceptible in any way to mental health issues, it's brought on by things like global pandemics. And then the other thing that complicates it is we live in a very stoic culture. Yeah. Like Western world is stoic. And what I mean by that is we like put our good face on when we go out and there's high value in behaving that way in our culture. Now, think about it. Somebody's, somebody's going through a loss or they're grieving something, and you're like, boy, I saw him at church the other day, and he looked fine. That guy is strong. Well, he may be strong, but you see, do you hear it? Like, because if somebody came to church and they were just weeping, that needs to be okay, too. Actually, I would even say that needs to be a sign of strength that this church is so loving and inclusive that somebody could cry out loud all during church, and this church is totally fine with it. Like, yeah, I'll just sit with you in that. Yeah, and, and I do, you're exactly right. As far as how we see people who have gone through stress, who's gone through difficulty, and especially even loss, you know. And we've had a lot of losses this past year. And it, you know, it's almost as if we, we give them the, I'll just be bold and say it, we give them the three weeks after the loss, and then we hope, and we just feel like, They've got to be better now. They've just got to be better right now. So, and that's, and it's almost like we have to put that on ourselves and actually act that way when that's not how we ought to be as an right. individual. Right, and I would add to that what you're saying is sometimes we rank pain yeah. and we rank struggle. You know, like I have, I'm, 
I feel bad because I made a 2.5 GPA this semester, and then I find out that somebody, you know, lost their spouse, or they lost their job, or somebody passed away from COVID, and all of a sudden, I don't feel like I have a right to be sad about my GPA. And I would just say, pain is pain. You know, you smash your finger, it really, really hurts. It doesn't stop hurting when you see the guy over there that accidentally got his finger cut off by a circular saw. You're like, well, my finger doesn't hurt anymore. Right. It still hurts, right? And so, like, this is, if we've learned anything in all this is, it's okay to have multiple pains and worries at the same time. And that's the other thing, too, is like, COVID is like on top of all the other stuff. It's yeah. not like everything else went offline while we were just struggling with this. So let me ask, I'm going to start with you, Austin, just not on my notes. I'm going to start with you about what did, what did you see positive mentally coming out of the pandemic? I think that for a lot of us, we've, we've kind of learned that we aren't always okay. And I think that Sometimes that is a positive thing is a lot of times we'll walk around and we'll feel these feelings and we won't really know what we're, what we're feeling. And I think that this pandemic has done, and just this past year has done a really good job of letting us see, and when we're on social media, I think it's especially been highlighted on social media, it's okay to not be okay. And I think that's a, that sounds like a negative thing, but it in a way is a positive thing because, you know, we're able to see what I'm feeling is other people are feeling this. It's not just me. It's, it's my friend over here. It's this random stranger that I saw that just went viral on Twitter. And all the people in the comment section saying, I agree with that, I agree with that, I agree with that. And I think that's something that's positive. Is, is it, it was, it's, this past year has kind of brought to light some of these issues. You know, we've, been, we've had a lot of people, a lot of studies have come out. A lot of surveys like what happened at the high school happened a lot of the times because right. of just what's going on in our world right now. And I think that's a positive is that it's been brought to the surface and we're talking about it. I mean, we're on stage right now having a mental health talk at church. Mm -hmm. How many other, when, how many, like would Lake Oma have done this before this year? I don't, I don't know, probably, maybe not. And there are probably a lot of other churches having this same conversation because it's been brought to the surface. And so I think that's a positive thing is that we're talking about it. And that's an important thing. Yeah, and the one thing I, one thing I saw that was interesting is, is that <clears throat> the pandemic also, uh, just from afar, from, I'm going to say this from afar, the youth group at Lake Homa drew closer because they only associated with each other for the most part because that's the only people they could be around. They couldn't go here, they couldn't go there, they couldn't go there. And it almost brought them closer together, especially the younger ones, the new ones that were coming in as well. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And j not just, I would say our youth ministry got closer. Um, we had some individuals come grow closer, especially last summer that were relatively unconnected to our group that are now connected because especially last summer when things were more so um, don't be together. I watched a lot of them connect because we were, we were able to be together in a smaller setting. And it's not just our youth group. I've noticed that in other places in our church, you know, different life groups that have continued to meet yeah. and grown significantly closer than they were beforehand. And I've seen a lot of those, those conversations happen. So. Okay, so back to, to you, Jeff. For parents who are out there and their children may be struggling with stress or anxiety or 
mental distress, what, what are some practical steps we can help our parents take away today that might help them? Yeah, I think, I think part of it comes from being willing to help, as Henry Nouwen says, as a wounded healer. Mm-hmm. Like, it's sometimes in our woundedness and our struggle that the Lord does some of his best work through us for others. So you don't have to be at 100% to care for another person. And so that means you can be concerned about your job and, you know, the things that are going on in your adult world while still paying attention to what's going on with your kids. So don't, don't need to be in an amazing place before you kind of walk along, alongside even your children. I think one of the things that we're learning, you know, is that, that honesty and openness like Austin's talking about are really, really helpful. And so, um, you know, when I think about like my wife, Sydney of 31 years, um, my favorite thing about her is that she knows everything about me and she still loves me more than everybody else put together. <laughs> right, it's crazy. Like she knows like I can't, I can't put on for her and she's still crazy about me. And that kind of like knowing you love is the most redemptive love in the world. Like when I know you, when I spent a whole summer with just my youth group and you guys like crammed onto two pews like there's no room anywhere else, right? That you love each other, right? It's some beautiful thing. And parents, like you love your kids too, but sometimes we're tempted in that stoic kind of like everything's okay. Sometimes parents, we can't handle it that our kids aren't okay. And so we will say things to them that make them feel like they need to be okay. And if they're not okay, then go figure it out somewhere or at least tell your mom what she needs to hear so that your mom can be okay, right? (laughs) So this is what I mean is like when you know each other really well, it's redemptive to to like look at it together. And so catch yourself, catch yourself before you train your kids to tell you that they're okay even if they're not okay, right? And so then, you know, if you're, if you're needing symptoms, um, you know, anxiety is stress and apprehensive, irritable, trouble concentrating, being worried. Uh, sometimes you have physical symptoms like shortness of breath and dizziness, uh, uh, upset stomach, all the things that go with, like you will have real physical symptoms related to to mental health issues. That's part of it. Depression, uh, changes in sleep, uh, either a lot of sleep or not very much sleep, changes in appetite, either eating a lot or not as much. Sometimes they're just sad. Sometimes they feel overwhelmed. Sometimes when you ask them why they're sad and they say they don't know, that is symptomatic of depression. That's not them holding out on you. So pushing on it real hard, like, no, you know, you know what... No, that's you being anxious, mom and dad. They don't always know why they're sad. That's what it means to be depressed. And when you're depressed, you are not necessarily suicidal, right? So when your anxiety starts to rise as you hear somebody that you love is going through a mental health issue, this is where you guys, do you really believe in the power of prayer? Do you actually believe it? Because this is your moment like to pray in real time, like while I'm in the conversation, Lord, I'm so worried for my kids right now. Could you give me enough peace? 
to be present. And if your kids aren't telling you anything, well, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> okay, so I, one of the things I think all of us probably have from time to time is we have a friend who's going through struggles. And they've either asked us to have coffee with them or maybe we have an opportunity to be with that individual. And I know prayer would be our first answer. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's go beyond that to how can I sit, be, and encourage those who are right in front of me who are struggling with depression or whatever, anxiety, just you can do a plethora. So I can't just say prayer. Is that what you just said? Is that what the preacher just <laughs> no, said? Just, 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 no, no, just besides prayer. prayer. No, no, that's right. I know. You understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I hope that prayer is the okay. first well, thing like that we I do said, together. This is my first Sunday as the new preacher. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I know what you mean. Like it's, um, we plan to we plan to to intercede for them. You know when we're when we're not with them. Right. I, I again I think I think this whole concept of over-functioning and under-functioning for people, when you see somebody that worries you, that you feel like they don't, they can't handle it, we tend to like take on a bunch of their stuff for them. Do you have any people right now for which you're currently doing things that they should be doing for themselves? And, you, and then you have an explanation for why. Well, Jeff, you don't understand. Like, if I don't do that, then she's not gonna da 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 And right, so I'm over-functioning. Under-functioning is whenever you don't have any idea what I'm talking about right now because you've got a whole bunch of people taking care of your stuff for you. I'm telling you that that is a real temptation in, in friendship is to take on too much with, for somebody or to see somebody that's really, really strong and then just back up the dump truck and let it all out on mm -hmm. them. And I think, I, to me, I think neither of those are ideal. They're too extreme. And I, I think, I, I've always loved Job's story of how his friends just constantly got it wrong over and over and over and over. And when they finally got it right is when they kept quit trying to have a reason for it, quit trying to like have some theology of suffering. And it was just like, mm, I'm just gonna be quiet. I'm just gonna sit with you. Yeah. And so to me, like the best conversations about mental health come and go like we might talk about the thunder and the weather and work. Like I might talk for five minutes about being sad and, and rather than it just being like a, a buzzkill and ruining dinner, it's like we talk for five minutes about feeling sad and struggling and being anxious, but then we also are gonna like change the subject and talk about something funny in the same conversation. So we're normalizing it by being present and not being afraid of the topic. You feel, that, you feel it's taboo because the minute somebody brings it up, it tends to change the whole tenor. And I'm saying really push back internally against that. Be willing to talk about mental health just like you talk about anything else because then that person feels you as really safe and understanding and you're not needing all the answers. That's what's beautiful <laughs> about it. You don't need like a list for them. Your presence, your unconditional like, I see you, I understand what you're saying about who you are a little bit more, and I love you still. Oh man, like people can get well in that kind of an environment. Yeah. Man, I, I wanna just speak into that too. Like some of the best advice people ever gave me was don't 
like people that have struggled with mental illness, mental health is don't treat me any differently. Like just treat me like your friend, treat me like a human. Um, like Jeff said, like being able to have those conversations and going in and out of them, it's going to happen. But sometimes just being, like he said, just being present and not treating somebody differently. Like if somebody opens up to you about a mental health issue, their mental health does not define who they are anymore. Mm-hmm. They're still your friend. They're right. still whoever your friend is. They're still, a, a, like we say, a child of God even. so I think Like on college, Austin Wright at OC, students tell you all the time they're going to, the, they're going to see their counselor. That used to be, you know, like you had to go through 14 secret passageways to get to your counselor's front door. And I mean, that, that's still available, right? We're not breaking confidentiality, but it's, isn't it, it's just super normal to talk about yeah, that. You'll be sitting in, at OC at least, like you'll be sitting in the coffee shop and say, somebody will say, I got to go, I got to go to my counseling session. Yes. And you're just like, all right, see you later. Yeah. And then it's, it's just conversation over. Yeah. So, so back to that right there. How, do you, how does a church create a safe place without judgment. It's, a, it's being, you got to be, if I had only one thing to say about that, what it would be, be really conscious of every word that you say about a topic. Be really conscious. Like if you say, well, that's fine for him, but I don't know, I just, I don't know, he's just, he's always just been kind of weak-minded or whatever. Like, like you could be talking about somebody that they don't, your kids don't even know they're hearing that. Like kids are great. I, re- I heard this the other day. Children are great reporters, but they're bad interpreters. Mm-hmm. So they report things very clearly, right? But what the meaning that they're assigning to it is very often, you know, like inaccurate. And so, they, so you think about all the things that we grew up with, things that you took into adulthood believing, and then and you're kind of like, unpacking them as adults and thought, I can't believe I, all, my whole life I thought da 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 And okay, so same. So that means be, be responsible for your words. I used to always be scared to death of that scripture, like one day we'll give an accounting for oh, all yeah. the careless words we've spoken. Exactly. I thought that was only going to apply to my golf course behavior. <laughs> You're right. And turns, turns I've been out. I've there. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> turns out that it's careless words that could actually um, wound another person. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, nobody ever talks to me about these kinds of things, maybe that's an opportunity for you to start changing how you publicly have conversations about this stuff that, that sends the message, people see me as caring and understanding. I don't have all the answers, but, I, but they know that I care. Yeah. Austin, do you have anything on that as far as that? Um, I would just say, like, you know, being our, like, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but being our, allowing people to be authentic is the mission of the church, I think. You know, letting people be, feel the feelings that they have um, is so important. We were talking in youth group a couple Sundays ago, and it was a resounding, it was a resounding yes. And I think youth are great, um, sometimes just can enlighten a church about where, where, where your church is, I think. I think they do a really good job at that. Yeah, and sure. every, I'm still young, but I think in every youth group setting I've been in, a lot of the times what the youth have to say is a, usually it's going to be pretty close to correct about where your church is. And so I, I think that kind of a challenge to like Coma today, which, and I don't think that this is entirely true for everybody, but, you know, there was a resounding, our church does not allow us to be authentic sometimes. Like we don't feel like we can be sad here. 
Maybe, and maybe it's just on a Sunday morning. And I know that there's different, the church is the people, and it's not always just here in the building on Sunday morning. But they said, at least here on a Sunday morning, I, I, I feel like when I'm at church, I feel like I have to be happy. I feel like I can't be sad. I feel like I can't have issues. And if I do have issues, it's kind of one of those sweep it under the rug kind of things. Right. Um, and so I think just allowing people to be authentic. You know, if you're not able to, I, I know that not every t- a occasion at church is an appropriate time to, to open up, as you will. But, you know, giving people a space to do that, whether that be inviting them, saying, hey, maybe right now is not the best time, but let's talk about this immediately as soon as we can. Yeah, it starts the process. Right. So I heard this definition of love the other day. It kind of made me think of what you're saying, Austin. Love is the non-possessive regard for the unique particularity of another. I'll say that again. Love is the non-possessive regard. So like I don't need to like have an ownership of you, but it's a non-possessive regard for the unique particularity of another. So you can be you here and we will continue to love you. Because, and 2 Corinthians 8 talks about this, like when it comes to sharing possessions, but Paul talks about, hey, we need right now, and y'all are supplying us out of your plenty, but the day will come when, when we'll trade roles. Sure. And I'm saying, like, so you loving somebody who's uniquely particular today is your gift to them and then one day you'll be in a space where it feels like nobody else in the world understands, but, but this place does. These people do. And that's literally what love looks like. Yeah, and that, last week we talked about empathy and just the idea of seeing people as the image of God, all people. And the scripture that you read from Matthew 11, we used that last week as well. And so the whole idea that I love that that description of love because that's empathy. It's it's actually putting myself in in the person's shoes and seeing from their perspective. You know, and there's great confidence that the Lord is doing a work that's in right. that person. My my goal is to be present, a non-judgmental. And I talk about this in the counseling class that Austin took with me, a non-anxious presence non-judgmental, non-anxious presence and continuing to love them in the spirit and trust that, the, that if there's a sin in their life or there's a problem in that way, the Lord's going to bring them into righteousness in his way through his church. But my goal is always that non-anxious, non-judgmental presence. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're out of time and uh, I know we could go a lot longer. In this, and thank you, Jeff, for being here. Austin, thank you for your comments as well. Let's give them a big hand if y'all don't mind. <laughs> Doug, go ahead. And uh, before we kind of have our invitation, it's just a time that if you need prayers, and remember, our elders are back at the back. They usually, and one of them will come back up here. Our elders pray for this church. They pray for this church. Every single Sunday, this is just one time. I know they do every day. But every single Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, we're in a room, in our room back there, the conference room. And they pray for you. 
We pray for you. And they pray for you. They've divided up this congregation so that everybody hopefully is touched. If they don't see you here, then hopefully you'll get a phone call or something at least. Not every time, but maybe twice a month or so if you're not here. I want you to know that your elders are shepherds. They're shepherds. They love you. And they want to oversee and help you with your struggles. And the one thing that they are great at is they are great at praying. I hear them every single week. And so, if you ever need to spend some time with these men, please do. Please do. If you're struggling, and I guarantee you one thing I know about these guys, they do so without judgment. They do so without judgment. They want you to look more like Christ each and every day, and they will walk with you, but they do so without judgment. I close with this scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let's stand and sing.